0: I've been thinking about the the humble pun, the lowest form of wit, according to some, and it's had a checkered past, faithfully recounted in a book by a prize-winning punster called John Pollock. And in one of the better periods, he tells us the fun, the pun flourished, with the theatre and the public houses in the time of Charles I. But at other times, the pun was dangerous, and particularly under Cromwell and the Puritans, it went out of fashion. But coffee houses came into being at that time, and with the restoration of the monarchy under Charles II, there was another flourishing in the coffee houses and the pubs of of language development and, and, uh, and puns. But it was still something a little dangerous, particularly where kings were concerned. And so Charles II apparently had a jester who was a playwright called Charles Killigrew, and he had a reputation for being able to pun on any subject at any time And the king, hearing this, uh, issued a challenge to Killigrew, saying, Make a pun on me. And Killigrew responded immediately that such would be impossible, for the king is no subject. (laughs) That's a torturous way to get me into what I want to talk about, because because American independence was in part driven by a desire to be freed from such subjectivity, of course and that independence is worth celebrating. However, in this land of equal opportunity and freedom from oppression, we seem to have found that much of our need to distinguish ourselves from one another cross the ocean with the shipboard rats, and we find ourselves in a land riddled with the distinctions of class and status, and it's a problem. You may have heard of David McCulloch, Jr., He became a minor celebrity last month when he made an address to the graduating class of Wellesley High School in Massachusetts. He told the students there that they were not special. He said that astrophysicists assure us the universe has no center, so you can't be it. (laughs) He was concerned that we're all caught up in a kind of Darwinian competition with one another. He said of late... We Americans, to our detriment, come to love accolades more than genuine achievement. He took on the game of resume building, suggesting that if a student took spring break to build a clinic in Guatemala solely for the purpose of building his or her college application, then that student had cheapened a worthy endeavor. He told them that their soccer trophies really didn't mean very much because these days everybody gets a trophy. And apparently the speech was very well received seems to have been going around. I was told after the eight o'clock that the, the graduation speech at Princeton was also about you're not special. And someone coming out behind said, no no, if you're Princeton, I thought, well maybe it's maybe it's maybe it's to Princeton, you're not special. No, really. You know? <laughs> well, David McCulloch reflected on the impact he'd had In an article he published in Newsweek, he just said he wanted to offer some thoughts to ponder and an exhortation for the students to make for themselves and for the rest of us extraordinary lives, abundant in energy, and guided by a spirit of selflessness. There was lots of reaction, blogs and tweets and what have you. But he said, without much comment, one set of reactions was from religious people. And religious people wanted to know that everyone's special that all God's children are special. Well, how do we deal with that? Surely both these things are true. No, none of us are special over against other people. We know it here, but it's really hard to live it out of our hearts. And we can see all around us people for whom accolades are more important than accomplishment. God spare us from people who seek high office, who want the position but do not enjoy the challenge of the work, be they presidents, CEOs, bishops, or ball players. Surely at the same time, however, we know that we are all special in God's sight in a sense. We're of infinite worth, every one of us, because we're made by love for love. It's the most extraordinary reality that makes every one of us of great value. Noel. Uh, For those of you visiting this morning, Noelle York-Simmons is our associate rector and currently on a well-earned holiday. Noelle spoke on a similar theme at the baccalaureate service for the Westminster schools this year. And she told the class of 2012 that they're not as special as they might think they are. And they're not as special as Apple or Coca-Cola or anyone else purveying a product wants them to think they are. Or they're not even as special as their parents think they are. They're as special, she said, as God thinks they are. This is a gospel message. Because it means that out of this sense that we are truly beloved, when we start to grasp it really, that we can accomplish extraordinary things. That we can do things for their own sake, for the building up of community, for the value of service, but not for our sake. It's a gospel message. It's good news. And it's embedded in our story from Mark today. It's not the main point of the story, but it's in there. A leader of the synagogue. A leader of the synagogue, no less. A man of stature. A man of status in his community. Fears for the life of his daughter. My daughter is at the point of death. My daughter. Jesus is on his way to heal Jairus' daughter, when a woman pushes her way through the crowd and grabs his cloak in a desperate attempt to get relief from her condition. She'd been bleeding for 12 years, same age as Jairus' daughter. And so she was considered an outcast. She was a woman. She was bleeding. She was unclean. She was almost less than human. So a man of status, a woman of virtually no status whatsoever. And what does Jesus call her? He calls her daughter. Daughter, you are part of the family of God. You are part of the family that God has brought into being for love. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. It's it's during what, for Jairus, can only have seemed an, an intolerably unnecessary delay that his daughter died. What makes any of us special? She died. Jesus went on to heal her also, however. Daughter. Daughter in the eyes of God. Worthy by grace. Worthy by love. Grace and love. Available to everyone, regardless of position in the world's terms. So easy to recognize. So hard for us to grasp truly. As we prepare to celebrate the founding of this nation with hot dogs and fireworks and what have you, it's well to take a moment to think about how God's grace also shapes our common life, our communal life. This is one of the days in the year when we process the American flag. That's controversial in church circles because it often seems that we're raising up the nation somehow, confusing flag and cross, nation and gospel. But that's not what we're doing here. What we're doing is offering even our national life on the altar desirous of God's transforming grace. You've heard of the doctrine of American exceptionalism, the idea that America has a special role in the world to create democratic ideals of freedom everywhere. And that's an idea that is criticized by post-nationalist scholars, but it's one that continues to have a real hold on political imaginations, and so on our international policy. On one hand, we've got to recognize we are no more special than anyone else. We're not granted some inalienable rights by virtue of status or wealth or power or weaponry. But on the other hand, when we see the gifts that we've received in the freedoms we enjoy in this country, particularly, for example, the freedom to worship without fear, not true in many parts of the world. When we recognize the gifts we have and use them in the service of others, the building of genuine community among nations, power exercised in humility, power uh, founded on hope rather than fear, then it's a gift. It's the same for us individually and as a parish as it is for the country. Our status as beloved children of God is the foundation for accomplishing extraordinary things for the common good. It's not about accolades. It's about offering ourselves in love after the model and pattern of Jesus. That's the point. That's the way. That's the way we know ourselves freed. That's the way we are more courageous and more generous and more hopeful. It's the way of life. When we live in the freedom of God's grace, our independence is from all kinds of oppression, certainly, but it's independent of striving for status. It's independence from fear. And when that's true, we have much to celebrate, and we can accomplish great things for the common good. In a brief time of silence for prayer, I invite you to give thanks for the freedoms we enjoy, especially the freedom to worship without fear. And to remember Jesus saying, daughter, you, everyone, daughter, your faith has made you well. In silence and in response to the gospel, let us pray.